I would say, especially like if you're a woman, write. Surround yourself with other creative people. You know, create your own work. And if you have like a really strong, swift mind, I would say try to finance your films. You're listening to Chats with Kat, where I catch up with my fellow millennials every week to share their journey of self-actualization, overcoming fear, and paving the way for a soul's purpose to shine through. Let's start that right here, right now. Today's guest is Brooklyn-based storyteller Nadia Simone. Nadia is a multi-hyphenate, focusing on writing, directing, acting, and community building. Her film, The Lost Book of Rap, was accepted into the 2015 Cannes Film Festival, and she has since written other features. Currently, she has a number of projects in various stages of development, including a short film titled La Bodega, which follows an Afro-Latinx family that is approached by two Jewish real estate developers to sell their bodega that has been in the family for over 30 years. This is a drama that delves into the lives of a Brooklyn immigrant family. In the midst of film projects, she manages a lifestyle platform called Blactina, which stemmed from a web series project still in pre-production, but highlights the amazingness of Afro-Latinx communities. In our chat, we discussed Afro-Latinidad, her experience in acting, what inspired her to begin writing and producing films, and loads more. Without any further delay, here is my chat with an idea. Hi, Nidea. Thank you for sitting down to chat with me. Thank you for having me. Of course. This is amazing. Um, it was really cool and serendipitous how we met. We met at the Afro-Latino Festival here in New York. Mm-hmm. And I think like we were just sitting next to each other because it was really hot outside. And I think you came to sit at the bench where I was sitting out with my cousins, yeah. right? And then we were just talking. And then I later found out that you run a page called Black Tina, which we're definitely going to get into in a little. And I was like... Wait, this is the same girl that sat I next know, to me. I know, I know. And it's I was crazy. like, okay, I need to have her on the show. She's doing really dope things. Yeah, and I was already following you. So I was like, oh, snap. Crazy, okay. crazy cool. Um, so you are a New York native. Yes, I am. Native New Yorker. What was it like growing up in New York? How were you like as a kid? It was cool. Like, I like New. I like being a native New Yorker because I feel like it really teaches you it really teaches you how to grow up fast and you you become very swift, you know, in a way that a lot of people are are not, you know? <laughs> so that was cool. I moved around a lot. I had a really unstable childhood, so it wasn't, like, all, like, peaches and roses. I spent a lot of time living in the projects. So, like, me and Sonia Sotomayor have, like, a probably a similar background. Um but I really was a latchkey kid. Like, I could do whatever I wanted, but I was also, like, super nerdy. So I didn't want to do the bad stuff. And I was also hyper aware of my stance in society. Like, I remember Oprah said, you know, Oprah and, like, Eva Longoria. Eva Longoria was on her show when she had the show. And Eva was like, you know, we didn't know we were poor. We had a pool, and it was a makeshift thing, and that was our pool, and we we just didn't know. And I was like, I wish I had the luxury of not knowing I was poor. Mm -hmm. Like, living in New York City, you know exactly where you are in the totem pole, and you're like, I need to get up there. I need to figure it out. 
how I can, because you're, you're right next to billionaires. And if you look it up, New York is home to the most billionaires in the world. You know, so it's like I'm at all the way at the bottom and I can see the limos. I can see, I can, you can see everything, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it really makes you want to like do the opposite. It's like, I want to be rich. You know, I want to be so rich. I, will, I never even look at the train. I remember I was like, <laughs> I was like 11 when I was, me and my sister were on the bus. Or something, or we were walking. Yeah, I think we were walking with our mom, and I was like, "I want to be so rich. My kids are gonna be like, what's that, ma? Like, oh, that's a bus. Like, like, oh, or and they they would look at the train and be like, where are they going? It's like, don't worry about where they go. Don't don't worry about that. And I was like eleven, you mm. know. So like, I grew up in poverty, but we don't say we're poor in New York. We we kind of like intellectualize our poverty. We're like we, we're low income. You know, and it's like, girl, you, you po- we're poor. Like, I had to tell my mom, like, two years ago, like, we're poor. We were poor. We still poor right now, but it's it's different now because I'm an artist, so I've chosen that. Mm-hmm. But, no, like, yeah, so I grew up poor, but I had a lot of love in my family. That's, I'm so lucky because, you know, if you don't have love, like, you, I think they say you're more likely to be, like, a, stere- a serial killer if you don't have it. Yeah, it makes so, sense. So, yeah. like, I had, like, a lot of love, and I was really affirmed as a kid. You know, I didn't get teased for being black. Like, I was always in very black environments, and the black environments that I was in loved being black. So that's also special, because you could be in black environments, and they be calling each other roaches and stuff. Yeah. Like, I... Everybody had kinky hair. We wore braids. We wore twists. We wore our beads. We thought we was fly. You know, my mom, like, she made sure our hair was always cute. But, like, I remember, like, somebody was like, how come Jamira, that's my sister, how come Jamira always has, like, the new exciting hairstyles and you don't? Like, and I was like, yeah, how come she she be trying new stuff with <laughs> with my little sister? But, like... Yeah, it was it was cool. Like, and I went to David Grayson Christian Academy when I was young for like grade school. And at one point, we had like six cousins, you know. So that was really fun. Yeah, that's because, really dope. Like our family, and I was on the African American side, like because the Panamanian side, I was like the only one. So it was nice growing up in Brooklyn and like having family around. Like I'm a super family type person. And just having, like, fun with cousins. Like, I love cousins. Mm -hmm. So you said you were nerdy growing up. Like, what did you like to do? Well, I guess, yeah, I was, it's just, like, I was not into, like, I love games. Like, I was heavy into, like, Jack and Daxter, Spyro, you know, when GTA came out. Like, I was into games. And I like to read. Like, I was going through books like crazy like harry potter the first book i read it in two hours oh my, and my mom was pissed and she was like <laughs> i don't have you think i have money to be buying these books like and she it was but she was stuck between a rock and a hard place because that's a good thing she instilled education in me yeah it got to the point where like in school because i was like really smart so if i felt like a lesson like i didn't need to do this I'm out here reading Harry Potter. Like, I got in trouble. They had to call my parents because she was like, she keeps on reading during class. And then I was like, how do I tell her that she can't read? I don't want her to, I don't want to tell her that she can't read. Yeah. Like, but I was like, I already know, mommy. I already know what they're going to do. And I'm getting A's. So she's like, 
I don't know. <laughs> like, you know. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, like, she's like, I don't know what to tell her. Because, like, but I still got beat, which is a problem. <laughs> we could talk about that. Corporal punishment for no reason in black <laughs> communities. But, no, like, I I liked to read. I loved to write. Like, I used to just go in on my books. Like, because at my school, like, we used to have, like, these book logs. And I love, like, writing, like, stories about stuff like I don't know if I liked book reports I probably liked it but I really like making up stories and like decorating my little book and everything and I like to read out loud so I would like read what I wrote to my family and then as I got older I was like wow they're not enjoying this like they're definitely doing this for me mm-hmm. they were like let me do my thing for like 30 to 40 minutes they're like all right it's anybody time for us listen to, go. to some music yeah <laughs> like so so I'm pretty sure that that must have impacted your decision to become an actor. And um, you moved to L.A. to pursue mm-hmm. an acting career after college. And I'm curious to know what was going on in your creative world that led to that decision. I just want to jump in here to clarify that actress and actor are actually used interchangeably within the acting community. I asked around a bit to make sure that I wasn't saying it wrong and it seems like there isn't actually any preference. Well, I've always wanted to be a performer. Like, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a family where we always were performing. Like, we were doing Cirque du Soleil. We were doing dancing. Like, we were, you know, Destiny's Child. Like, it was, like, like, serious. And then, like, our uncle indulged us by recording everything. So we were, (laughs) like, we're stars, you know? Like, let's do the music video. Are you guys ready? (laughs) Do we have on our costumes? Like, do we have everything? Like, we thought we were bad. So... Like, I always was performing. I always wanted to be a performer. But when I was eight and I started learning about probability, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to be an actress. Like, it's just, like, not. Because you know where you are in society. And it's like, how? How is that even possible with, like, we always struggling? You know? Like, how, you know, those people are different. So I decided to pursue business. And mm-hmm. then later in college, I had, like, a breakdown. And I What was college like, did you go to, by the way? I started off at the University of Illinois where I studied business, like Aggie finance Mm -hmm. business. And then I had a meltdown, moved back to New York, and I was like, you know, what am I here for? Like, what am I, like, in this world for? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to be an actress. And if I fail, I'm 20. I'll fail, and hopefully by the time I'm 25, I can pick myself back up. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm still young, so, like, I'll be old enough. Like, if it doesn't work, we'll see what happens. Um, But once I started, I felt like things were really clicking for me. I changed my major. I enjoyed everything about it. After college, I moved to L.A. That's another story. Which we are going to get into. Well, was, did I was, did I finish that first question? I'm not sure. Uh, well, yeah, no, keep you can keep going. Okay, I mean, so, it's just like what led to you moving to LA? Like, I, what was I going on in New York? Like I needed when I was in school. Like, I studied theater, so I looked. The thing about business school is it teaches you protocol and it teaches you to look at systems in place and like what what works. Like, it teaches you to learn the lay of the land. And I was like, okay, the lay of the land in New York is 30-year-olds. They're 30-year-olds, black 30-year-olds are really killing it. But young people who look like me are not. Mm. I do not see them working. Mm. But the places where I do see them working is in L.A. So maybe I need to be over there. 
you know, because like for some reason everyone thinks I'm 12. Yeah, that's like a thing. Um, even when I was like, I remember I had auditioned for this something and he's like, how old are you? You have to be 18. Like, I was like, I'm 19, mm-hmm. you know, or 20 or however old. I was over 18. Mm-hmm. And he thought I was like 15 years old. And that has that happens all the time. And it's weird because no, I'm not aging. So this is this well, is this is beautiful. That's a great problem to have. I'm like, this is gonna get awkward. This is gonna get awkward when I'm like 35 years old and I'm looking like I'm 25. You can get all the roles, all of them. Yeah. So, but I went to LA and I was like, this is where I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna be a star. You know, like I'm not in, and I stayed probably a little longer than I needed to stay, but yeah, I went there to like you know get this money, and they wasn't trying to hire me, so I was like, deuces, y'all, like I'm gonna take my talents to where they're gonna be respected. But I did learn so much from LA. Like uh, I made great contacts, built amazing relationships. Like I learned just about the industry because like there's so much. There's so much knowledge that's protected and coveted that they don't tell you. And it's, I just think it's wrong. Like, I think it's, you need to tell people stuff and people don't know things and they're going the wrong directions for years because they don't know, like, some basics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it changed the way I viewed the film industry. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Cannes Film Festival in 2014, and I had never even heard of that festival. But it's the biggest and most prestigious film festival in the world. How did you end up making it there? So I went with a group called the Creative Mind Group. I applied to be like in their. I applied, and then I got in, and you had to pay like 2,500 to be a part of it, and that's like just talking about how difficult it is to make it you know like this it's coveted and you have to have the money to play but it's like 2500 is not easy to get so i literally was i i had a sign and i was like help me help an idea get to can and people donated and i did like crowdfunding and i like scrubbed up the money because that 2500 of course it doesn't cover your plane ticket you know like you can't just like raise it. You're good. It's like okay, it's really thirty five hundred, and then I have to pay for food and stuff. So oh I got there, but it changed my entire life, and I was like, oh, so this is why I don't see black film. Oh, why? What did you see there? Because we're not there. Mm. It's like it's like Cannes is a marketplace as well as a film festival. It, imagine ten thousand Sundances in one place, and like the top, it's only like the one percent. So when I was there, I didn't see any black people, and I was like, "How we expect black film if we're literally not here? Yeah. Like we're because we're, we're not here, and it it has to be at Cannes before it gets to your theater. So mm. if it's not here, it's definitely not going to be like round away. And if it is round away, it's going to be ten times harder because once you're in Cannes. It's like you're dripped with like sprinkly gold because like, oh, if you can get here, then you belong here. So everybody respects you. And then what happens there? Do people purchase films like purchase, buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling? It's Mm. crazy. Like it's a marketplace. It's insane. So like that first year I was in and I realized 
the racism, I was expecting racism. I was like, people are going to be racist. Like, I'm a black girl. Like, I'm clearly, I'm brown. Yeah, I'm brown. I'm like caramel. So, and I'm the real caramel, not the play play caramel that they be trying to sell you. Caramel's brown. Um, so I didn't experience that racism and it threw me off guard. And then also when I was around men, they wouldn't sexualize me the way they would sexualize like my white friends which at first I was like, oh, that's because they're not attracted to black women. And then like this week I was like, no, don't say that because like don't underestimate yourself. They were probably extremely impressed with you and they knew they were not going to like get you in bed like that. And I was like, yes, Nadia, why are you out here like just assuming like, you know, because nobody said it wasn't like people thought I was ugly, but they were just out here really trying to get in these like white women's beds. And I was like, this is insane. I was like, oh, my God, like, black privilege. Um, so so that was really cool. And, like, like literally, like, a white man took me to all his meetings. And it was just, like, I would have headaches every day from just the stuff that I was learning. And I learned, like, oh, Nadia, you need to be producing. Acting is cute, but you need to be creating because that is where the power is. That's what I'm interested also in knowing because it seems like once you moved to L.A. and you were exposed to – you know, the action that went on behind the scenes, you transitioned over to producing mm-hmm. and writing. So what aspects of that do you find interesting? I'm going to finish the can story, though. Yeah. Before I do that. Um, the next year, I was determined to have a short film in the Cannes Film Festival because I wanted to have the experience of selling something. So I was able to get my short film in Cannes and screen it. And then I tried to, like, sell it. I definitely did it the wrong way. You know, but I learned how to pitch to distributors and build those relationships, which are literally the keys to heaven. Um, And that's when I learned the whole like black film doesn't sell overseas is a myth because I was trying to sell the Lost Book of Rap, which is a short film that I did. We're like, oh, it's a short. We're going to make a feature. We need blah, blah, blah. Because I didn't know what to do and how to position, I kind of like a little fumbled you know, because I didn't know what words to say. I didn't know how it worked. You know, now if I go back, I, I, I could get like $5 million for that film. But everybody was so excited about the film, and the film was 99.9% black. No names. It was just a good film. It was just really great content. Eastern European, East, like Eastern Europe loved it. Germany, all these places that you would think, oh, they're, they hate black people. They were like foaming at the mouth, like, oh my God. One distributor was like, I don't even do this, but I love this. You know, this is information you need. This person, like, they, they like these films, you know? So that's what really confused me. And I was like, I think the reason that we don't see black films in theaters is because white people who don't trust. I think white people don't trust buying black film from white people. They think, oh, this came from a black person. This is the, this is the real. This is the real McCoy. You know, it's like, but if it's like, oh, you have to trust the white guy. It's like, mm, is this really the way it is? Like, is it really? They want the blickety black stuff, and they want to buy it from black people. They don't want. They don't want to like trust that. I. That's how I felt because, like, for me. They were looking at this black film from two black people who clearly lived that New York experience. And they're like, this is nice. Like, this is the real thing, and I want more of it. But also, 
once again, nobody else is black in there. Of course, nobody else is really pushing black stuff. And who's going to push it the most? You're going to push your film the most. So I feel like we need to be financing more. We need to be actually selling our films. Like Universal is there. Everybody's there. Everybody, all the distributors are there. And I know I'm speaking like film language now. Like, and people are like, what's distributor? Nah. Like, Lionsgate is a distributor. They're the company that gets it to the AMC theater. Like, you need, you need their help before you can get to AMC. So, so I, yeah, we need to be selling our own films. And a lot of people in this industry, uh, the famous black people, they're, I think they're afraid and they're so used to the old system of like, asking white people for help and then them going and taking care of it what do you mean that they're afraid they're afraid to write and produce no to sell sell their own films so but you so in order to sell their own films they have to be writing it and producing it well there's a lot of films that are written and produced and then they're shopping them to like the studios like abc and fox and stuff and they're like oh if they green light it then we're gonna be in so what are they afraid of of starting their own thing i don't think i don't even think they think it's possible to do okay i spoke to i think erica campbell she she was like living single she played maxine and she broke it down for me she was like you guys millennials are different because you think you can just go do anything yourself you're like i don't need the studio we didn't grow up like that you needed the studio mm. there was there was no question about mm. It was like I auditioned for them, you know, I work with them, and they help me carry out my project or carry out my career. But this is a new day, and they're just not used to, they're not used to this, so they're not going to do it. And that's why Ryan Coogler is killing the game, because he's like, I'm going to do what I want to do, you know, and it's a mindset shift. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to the importance of writing and producing, right? how did you find yourself in that world and what about that attracted you well I wanted to work I wasn't working and I felt like really like I think I was I started to get depressed I was I realized most of my time in LA was depressed and I was just like what am I doing like I know I have talent I know I have what it takes I'm not getting anywhere man I'm going in circles and then Lena Waith and Ben Corey Jones were like oh we need an intern and I was like this is a great opportunity for me to learn so I'm going to, like, apply to be their intern. Myself and basically, like, a 100 other people felt the same way. And they're like, why don't we make this a writer's group? You know? So I was part of this uh, thing called the Aspiring Writers Initiative. And, like, we learned how to, like, write scripts. But I got kicked out. <laughs> so I couldn't keep up. I just I, I just didn't have the skill set. Um, so and everybody, like, there's some – that's why I say there's fire writers writing already they're not getting seen because they don't have names like everybody had done like a fellowship this fellowship that fellowship I was like I just went to acting school like you know I'm trying to learn like but it was like gems being dropped like Ben and Lena are just gems on gems on gems now everybody knows that they're like amazing but yeah that's what I wanted to do and then I stopped writing and then, like, a year later, I was like, you know what? I'm going to force myself to, like, finish an outline. Let me just finish an outline. Like, beat my head against the wall for months and months and months to get, like, a really, really, can I curse on here? Yeah. Really shitty outline. And then I was like, you know what? If I can do this, I can make it better. 
So I made the outline better. It's like, okay, next step. And then I started writing. So then I finished my first feature, which is a freaking dope ass feature. It's about like this racist trust fund baby that's supernaturally transported to an alternate universe where white people are the oppressed minority. So it's like I and the thing is like I be on this like I'm not going to write about like two people with boring lives like that's like a cheap. Of course I write the 20 million dollar feature. It's the first feature that I write. Um but I'm really interested in like fantasy. But yeah, so after that I was like okay, I have some power. That is power. People don't realize writing is power. You can't shoot nothing with no script. Once you write, you can say, hey, do you want to read this? Do you want to make this? Then, you know, you get the ball rolling. So so what happened with this project, the first one? Nothing. I'm still I, – because I, it's too much money, so I need to, like, find – not too much money. I'm, I'm going to shop it, but I need something cheaper. Like, because $20 million is – a lot when you're not a white man. So, <laughs> well, so let's shift over to Black Tina. So you yeah. are of Panamanian descent and yeah. identify as Afro Latina. Um, yeah. Last year, you launched a web series called Black Tina, right? No, no. It's I just launched an Instagram. I was supposed to launch a web series, okay, but I ended up getting it partnering with black and sexy tv so they gave me more resources to do it okay. so we're still in like development basically okay so we're not in development we're almost we're almost done with development we're probably going to be in development for the end of this month we're finalizing scripts like right now and we're going to start casting next month and hopefully shooting in october so what's this going to be about this is about like three afro latinas in harlem that are basically like trying to create a business together and like men are getting in the way that's a that's basically what it's about okay. um it's like living single meets sex in the city um that's the vibe mm-hmm. i'm going for but yeah like it really came out of me wanting to see myself on screen like my friends on screen wanting to put my friends on you know and just not seeing our culture there you know, I, w- I was like, the way we talk, like, I want to see that. Because I see, I go to all these parties with my family. And then, like, every time somebody's black, they got to be African-American. And anytime somebody has an accent, they're, like, stupid. And, like, people have accents who are not stupid. Yeah. So, yeah. just because you don't speak standard American English doesn't mean you're dumb. Of course. So, I wanted to see the diversity of New York. I wanted to see New York the way I see it. So, yeah. So you turned it into a lifestyle page in the meantime. Yes, lifestyle page in the meantime and trying to like promote like Afro Latinx and Caribbean stories. That's the goal. I'm I'm still learning this whole social media thing. So so you basically like you take photos, you go to events and stuff and go to events um and now I'm starting to write work so that I can promote it on the page, which is where La Bodega comes in. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, like I've wanted to it came out of a place of complete frustration. Like I was working on another feature and I was like, why can't I, why can't I like stay focused and finish this thing? And then like I went to Harlem. One of my friends like owns a, a cafe. Lennox, shout out to Lennox Coffee. Shout out to Lennox Coffee. Um, and I literally wrote this thing in two hours. La Bodega? Yes. And I was like, oh, so you're lazy. That's what it is. That's what it is. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. 
But yeah, it's a story about an Afro Latinx family, Panamanian, because I'm Panamanian, so I gotta <laughs> put my people on. Yes, y'all gonna be annoyed because every character is gonna be Panamanian. Um, but they are approached by these two Hasidic Jewish real estate developers who want to buy their bodega, and it's about uh, the decision they make about like selling it because everybody in the family does not want to sell it and it's been the family for like 30 years um so there's a lot of frustration and tension in the family because of that and it's about displacement it's about like you always you see you know communities change but like how does that happen yeah like what does that look like you know and I made it up so I could be totally wrong but like (laughs) but yeah so it's I, people were like, oh, it's, it sounds like a little Spike Lee. And I was like, not really. I don't, I'm not going to hit you over the head with a message. Like, it's going to be an accident. And then you'll be like, oh, my God, like, this is a message. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. but, yeah, like, I like to, and I, and I just love art. Like, so I see it as a work of art. And I'm working with um, Aviji Hadler, who is, he was in this acclaimed documentary called, like, born into brothels and he was like the most promising kid out of everybody and he like he went to NYU and now he's like this big time guy and he's gonna be my DP so I'm super excited because I love his work what does DP stand for director of photography got it the camera person who's in charge of the cameras great that's amazing um so how are you going about getting funding is there a way like we can help you is there a way that yes you can donate Mm -hmm. donate to okay there's a couple ways the first thing is donate if you have the money. We're asking for at least a $25 donation, and you can donate on Cash App. Cash App, go to dollar sign, she ready, 686. And then it's like Black Dina Media should be there. So that's Cash App, guys. And then Venmo is Black Dina Media. So that's like a lot easier. And like if you don't have any money, share. Just share it to the person, you know, who does have money. And you can volunteer for the fundraising efforts. We're having an awesome event, August 25th, so save the day. It's talking about sex and relationships in the Afro-Latinx community. We're going to be talking about everything, y'all. Okay, the ratchet just came out. It's talking about interracial relationships. I don't even have to say just interracial relationships, whatever. We're going to talk about it. Gender roles. We're going to be talking about, like, you know, some people feel like they don't want to date bisexuals. So if a man has had sex with a man, even if he's not bisexual, if he had sex with another man, a woman be like, nah, he's gay. I don't want to be with him. Or even if you're gay and a man has had sex with a woman in the past, it's like, nah, you straight. I ain't messing with that. Like, you need to make a decision. So we're going to be talking about that, talking about cheating. Like, So this is going, all the proceeds from this are going to your phone? Yes, yes. Okay. So it's $15 online, $20 at the door. It's in an NYC area, probably Woodside, Queens, but I'm still um, going to, I'm confirming the venue right now. But definitely come and bring lots of money to spend on stuff. <laughs> Where can people get the details online? At Black Dina. You can go to um, Black Dina on Instagram, B L A C T I N A. We're going to Eventbrite Sex and Relationships in the Afro-Latinx community because it's on Eventbrite and it's public. And or my Instagram, like Nydia Simone, N-Y-D-I-A-S-I-M-O-N-E. 
So I'm always posting about it. Amazing. Uh, so I'm interested in one of your long-term goals, which is to start a production company. Mm, yes. When yes, it comes yes. about, because it will happen, what Soon. kind of messaging will it center around? It's going to be focused on Afro-Latinx and Caribbean communities, um, specifically women. But it's going to have lots of different genders. In a year or two, I really want to focus on sci-fi and fantasy. And because my political message is going to be through sci-fi and fantasy. I don't want to talk to you in real life. I don't like... I think it helps me when I can use fantasy to talk about my political beliefs. And then there's so much culture and there's so much, like, juice, you know? Like, there's so much cultural juice that we can put in these films. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, it's crazy. So, so yeah, like, I remember, I guess somebody, if you want to take it, you can take it, but don't take it because it's my idea. Like, I was like... <laughs> I just, off the cuff, I made up this movie, like, you know, white people moved to Mars, rich people, rich white people moved to Mars and left us here. And then, like, 250 years, they wanted to come back because they started to lose their water sources. And we were like, they had to make a decision to see if they were going to let these people out. So the whole movie is like, what happens <laughs> when you want to come back now? And it's like, but you ruined the earth. Of course, the earth is on its like last leg when you left. So everybody's like struggling. And now we have all these new systems and we're do we're living our life like it's golden. And you're like, I want to come back. It's like, ain't you the guys that messed it up? Ooh, that would be a great film. You got to make that happen. Yeah. I would pay money for that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, honestly, all my ideas are groundbreaking. Like, <laughs> I but love like, confidence. it's yes. like, it's like, no, because I'm listening to like what other writers are writing specifically when they're in the industry. It's like, why does it sound basic? Why does it sound like everything I've already seen? But I feel like when you're closer to that, like you write for what's going to get made instead yeah. of just like let that imagination flow, baby. Like just let that go. And for me, it's a little easier because I'm like, okay, they're not casting black women. That's why, that's why I started writing and producing. So my focus is not to get hired anymore because they not hire me anyway. So mm -hmm. why would I sit on the sidelines when I have a dope body, mm -hmm. talented? Mm -hmm. I, and I want to see I want to see black women's bodies be not sexualized by men on screen. Yes. We can if we want to sexualize ourselves, we can make it hella sexy. Yeah. You, we but could on do our terms. We could do sexy way better than you can do sexy. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. And we and we don't even have to show titty. Yeah. Don't even have to show titty. So, like, I want to I wanna do that. Like, I want to make – I also want to make films of – like, we talked about accents. Like, I want people to have accents in my in my films that are, like, you know, the most intelligent people in the world. And, yeah. you know, I, I just hate how sometimes, like, our people get treated. Um, but what else? I, I missed – I had something in my head that I lost it. But, yeah, so – That's dope. There's I that. can't wait for that to happen. What advice do you have for, you know, young people in the Afro-Latinx community who want to get into acting and who feel like, obviously, they don't see themselves anywhere and right. they don't know where they can go to for answers or help or resources? Like, where do they turn? I think, first of all, they need to look at themselves mm. and say, is my skill set worthy of being on screen? Am I that good? Because if you're not, then you need to go. I think you need to go go to a community college before you go pay for a uh, 
all there's a bunch of acting schools but colleges don't sleep on these colleges they their professors are working actors you know so community college or go to actual college oh, community college is actual college my bad um but you go to enroll yourself in a four-year, enroll yourself in a community college, you know, take these acting classes, work, get on stage, you know, you know, you know if you're good or not. Like, it's not, you're not confused. So if you're not good, don't expect people to be breaking down doors because, like, you just, you got to at least be good. And if you know you have, like, a talent that um, is worthy of being paid for, um, I would say definitely look inside again because your personal demons will really fuck you up. Like, you will self-sabotage your own self. You know, you don't have to work hard. This is not, I don't believe in working hard. I believe in alignment. Like, you meet people in places that you weren't even supposed to be in just because the train was late. You know, like, so don't feel like you got to work hard um, because that's how you get abused. So don't feel like, don't believe in, take all the pay and dues out your mouth don't talk about paying dues. I would say, especially like if you're a woman, write. Surround yourself with other creative people. You know, create your own work. And if you have like a really strong, swift mind, I would say try to finance your films. It's not for everybody. Everybody, some people, they're not very confident in a boardroom. They're not, you know, and if you're not, you need to be with somebody who's, you know, you know that person who's going in the boardroom. It's like, stay close to them, but be a part of a collective. You know, it just takes one person. Like, I'm with Avi, like, he's my DP, and I see our relationship going very far because he's so creative, you know? So find people with skill sets that are not like yours. Uh, go to therapy. I would say go to therapy is the first thing second and last because you don't know what's holding you back like what do you really want like do you really want to be an actress like why do you want to be an actress why do you want to make stories tell the story that you really want to tell write that down figure out how to write it find those resources like sit in yourself and just like ask yourself why like what's important to you you know because everything will come everything is inside you. you don't need nobody nobody needs to discover you They'll find you because you're going to be dope. I have to challenge you on the not working hard thing because, um, you know, I think that alignment is super important. And obviously, like, getting yourself right mentally mm -hmm. and spiritually is a key factor in getting where you want to go. But if you're not doing the work... Well, it depends on what the work means to you, so I guess. So taking acting classes and, like, putting yourself out there often like as much as you possibly can and making sure that you're pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone to me is definitely yeah. working hard. I don't know because like it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. Like when I was in LA, I was always putting myself out there. I didn't get a lot out of that. Um, a lot of people knew who I was. It didn't mean anything for me. But I think sometimes that could be a really great distraction going to all these parties and all these events mm -hmm. and panels. So working smart is the most important thing. Working smart, but understand, like, why are you doing this? Yeah. What is your intention? Like, yeah. be intentional. Like, yeah. I went to this premiere party the other night for Black Klansmen. I didn't even know it was a premiere. I was told it was a screening. Somebody said they had an extra ticket for a screening. Found out it's a premiere. 
premieres have after parties. So I'm getting in the after party. Got into the after party, you know. And this is all like divine alignment because somebody just gave me a ticket. Met Tiffany Haddish. Got to meet Malcolm Lee. Connect with him. Met two people who are potentially interested in financing my films. And like that was really me just like, oh, being open to stuff. Sometimes be open to stuff and be open to people. But stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Chill out. Be happy with your life. Find something to be happy about. Mm -hmm. Stress will mess up your dreams and it will really mess you up because that vibration is not good for you. So stay away from stress. Like I was working for CBS for Madam Secretary and I literally like my back almost went out from just working that job. You know, and I wasn't the only one who had, like, literally, how am I getting sick off a job? Yeah. That's crazy. And I was working hard. Yeah. Didn't have a choice. Yeah. And I was really, like, questioning my whole self. Like, mm-hmm. but I don't believe in working hard anymore. Like, I believe in alignment. I'd rather you, like, meditate for four hours and, like, I don't know, go to, like, a party or, like, some something where you're going to meet somebody or whatever. Yeah. And because, like. It will come to you. Yeah. Like, it will literally, and you'll be like, what? I didn't, I didn't even do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, you didn't. Mm-hmm. You you just got in touch with yourself. Yeah. So get in touch with yourself. You know, make sure people aren't abusing you. There's a lot of yeah. abusive monsters in this industry. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are black, too. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are black. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's, that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, protect yourself, you know. That's really good advice. So I want to try something new that I haven't done with anybody before, and I'm inspired by, well, this was inspired by Katie Dale Baum. Uh, she interviewed me yesterday, and she did rapid-fire questions. So I want to do rapid-fire questions gosh. with you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So <laughs> let's start off with what is your favorite time of day, morning, noon, or night? Night. What is your favorite kind of food? Bacalao. Mm, yeah, yum. If you want a million dollars, what's the first thing that you would buy? A house. Mm, where? Red Hook. Red Hook. Favorite film? Uh, five Heartbeats. And for the last question, what are your favorite self-care routines? Spiritual baths. I practice conjure. In case you're like me and hadn't heard about conjure before, it's a spiritual practice that is also known as hoodoo and is a form of of folk magic that comes from african-american culture this form of spiritual practice revolves around the natural power of the earth and its spirits and like america itself draws an influence from a wide range of cultures um which is a tradition uh widely used in like louisiana new orleans spiritual baths are real man talking to my ancestors people don't think i'm crazy like no but like that's some real stuff and like especially like in the heat of the night when everybody's sleeping and it's like two in the morning, that's when your grandpa come visit. That's when you you talk out loud, you write it. Ah, talking out loud is the best, and I love talking to the ocean, like Ooh. especially the Caribbean Ocean. Like when you travel, like as people of color, black people who know they have like slave trade, our ancestors are in like water, like like so talk to them, listen, they talk back, like you know, and it may not be audibly. But they're there, man. They're so there. And they're, like, pushing for you. And I'm I'm still – I'm new. It's been, like, a year. I'm still trying to, like, sort a lot of things out. 
because it's like it's it's just so much you know what do you mean you're new it's only been like a year that i've been practicing conjure Mm. um and like i love candle magic and stuff like that yeah i used to be like super christian i was raised in the church Mm -hmm. catholic and baptist but something was like missing and i was like i'm missing something because Mm -hmm. i was like like in LA, the black church folk, it's this small. The mm-hmm. industry is tiny. So it's like I'm I was meeting everybody. Like everybody, Denzel Christian, you seeing that people in church, you seeing Angela Bassett in church, like you seeing everybody in church. You know, but it was something missing. And I think it was my ancestors and they're like guiding me and leading me and like that's why I feel like I'm good. Yeah. So that's yeah. amazing. That's my self care. Beautiful. Um, so before we head out, I want to know if you had one message that you could get out to the world, what would that question be? Or sorry, if you had one, if you had a chance to give out one message to the world, what would that message be? Only thing that comes to mind right now, unfortunately, is mind your business. (laughs) And I hate that because I'm like, dang, that's not idea. That's what you would want. And that's literally the only thing is like, mind your business. Just mind it. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I wish... I'm not I I guess I am the shady like I my, love it mine yours mine yours like <laughs> so many people need to do that I mean like how is it that there's million dollar billion dollar industries just based off of celebrity gossip oh god like why is that a thing I don't like it because it made me not like I can't listen to Alicia Keys music the way I could before and I feel like it that affected my personal life I was like I don't need to know her her stuff it's not necessary for me I remember when that started to be a trend, and I was like, I'm not buying this. Like, who's buying this? A lot of people. A lot of people who don't mind their own business. Nope. Yeah, so that's a great message. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me. This was great. Thank you for having me. I'm having a great time. I hope you all liked this episode. I've linked all of Nidea's social media in the show notes, along with the trailer to The Lost Book of Rap, so that you can all get a taste of her work. I hope you all have an amazing week. And as always, I'm sending you all lots of love and we will chat next week. Here's a bit of a preview of next week's chat with Joel Daniels. People adopt these things as a truth and don't even question why it's a truth. Like when we go back to this table concept, like why do we call this a table? And why does it matter that we call it a table? Because people need labels, like labels are important. But at the same time, it's like, why, like... Why is it not okay for a woman to dress however she wants to dress? Why is it uncomfortable for you to see two men kissing or, like, showing affection to each other? Like, why? And if you can't answer that, then you need to kind of dig deeper. Like, I I think children are the best example of that. You know, Lila is not really at this place yet where she's like, why, 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 why? But she does ask why sometimes. And I think the more we can look at the world as children, the easier the life will be.